Hi! That's Lindsay. And that's Kayla. And we're two friends who share a love for reading that we want to share with you. So, so let's, let's talk, talk about, about books, books, baby! Today, we are talking about The Light Between Oceans. So if you guys haven't ugly cried in a while, now's a really good time because this book, We welcome you to cry along with us. (laughs) Oh, dear Lord, because I know you did. Don't lie to me and say you didn't. Yeah, it it is, uh, it's a tearjerker. I mean, there is, there's no way around it. I like to put it in the same category as Titanic and Pearl Harbor (laughs) almost, Uh where it's a tragic love story, but then there's also this other element of motherly love. So there's a lot going on. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know what I attributed it to? It reminds me so much of Little Fires Everywhere. Oh, okay. No, didn't it? Like that juxtaposition, the two mothers that are like, all I want is what's best for my child, but I'm what's best for my child. You know what I mean? Like that was what I heard the whole time. So I actually really wanted to equate it to where the crawdads sing because of the isolation and loneliness and kind of what it does to a person and their want and need for connection. I could see that. I could totally see that. But I think in my case, I totally, with the mother's stories and stuff like that, that's where I see the little fires everywhere. But I do see that where the crawdads sing, where they're on this island of isolation, just away from everyone. But to me, it's just a little different because they were isolated geographically but yeah. they weren't looked down upon like Kaya was and well, where true. they got that thing you know that's true well yeah so let's just let's just get into it so what I really love and what I wanted to really touch on, kind of like with Delia Owens and Where the Crawdads Sing, was the way Delia Owens had written about the marsh and the nature and everything. And I really yeah. feel like M.L. Stedman had done the same thing with this book, with the descriptions and just the story and the way she wove the, the backstory in with the current story, mm. with the descriptions of the war. I really loved the way she described the war and how it affected the young men of of that area and and yes. just the, the little things that she said like oh a mother is always waiting for her son to come home really setting up the stage for the story later on and I'll be honest like when I read this I read this like maybe four or five years ago and I, I read it again uh, this week and Oh God, um, just as good now. But when I had read it, I did not know what the story was at all. I had no idea what I was getting into. I thought it was a love story about a lighthouse. And then, you know, mid book, it switches perspectives to Hannah and this whole other thing. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on? Even a love story between a man and a woman. Like the truth is, while there is a love story between a man and a woman, this is not a love story between a man and a woman. They get married within the first hundred pages, like before the first hundred pages. I think by page 50, they're like basically married and they're together. So the story, their love for each other was never in question. Right. Well, I I would argue a little bit with that. Okay, uh, I see where you're coming from. <laughs> the police station and stuff. Is yes. That yes. I think, okay, I know that this might be jumping ahead a little bit, but have you ever read that quote from Ryan Gosling where he says about Blake Lively, 
I told myself. You mean Ryan, like, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. I'm so sorry. Yes. Yeah. I did the Ryan's <laughs> I was like, my dad. Yeah, You're wrong like, Ryan. That's not right. But um, both sexy as fuck. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. You heard it here first, folks. But like, yeah, we're with Ryan Reynolds. And he says about Blake Lively, I always told myself I would protect her to no end. I would do anything in my grasp to protect her. And the second I saw that child, I knew that I would use my wife's body <laughs> as a shield to protect that child. So... To me, his love for Isabel is never in question. He loves her. She maybe thinks, oh, wait, he betrayed me. He doesn't love me. But the truth is, no, he loves her so much. But he also loves that baby. And he knows how much she loves this child that's not even hers. So I would almost say that it's the opposite. I really took it as, yes, Tom loved Lucy, but there was something always keeping him from really, truly loving her. Oh, absolutely. Um, whereas Isabel treated her as if she was her own and fully pretended and, and went with it, where she would have used Tom as a shield for Lucy, whereas I don't think Tom would have done the same. I mean, not in so many words. I'm sure if there yeah. was actually that you know legitimate situation, but I think that Tom never really wanted to fully connect with Lucy because even after two years when they get off the island and he leaves the note for Hannah, you could tell that he just wasn't fully committed because he kind of knew the end was coming. And so that was the vibe I always got from Tom. Oh, absolutely. I don't uh, argue that. I even wrote down, I wrote on page 109, it says, just as he couldn't now imagine having lived in this world without meeting Isabel, he realized that Lucy too was making her way inside his heart and he wished she belonged there. But so here's the thing. He loves her. Like, to me, to me, he absolutely loves her. But you're right. One, he does know that this is not going to end well. But also... It's not going to last forever is the problem that he realizes. Yeah. Uh And two, I think that, you know, the whole book, I was sitting there thinking, he is such a killjoy. (laughs) Like, he's (laughs) so funny. Because whenever she's, like, flirting with him and she's like, oh, I'm I'm floating in the water. Ooh, he's like, you know, they're sharks. Right. He can never fully relax. And I think that that's why at the end, I do see him fully relax because he has such a strong uh, moral compass of right and Mm -hmm. wrong, fair and unfair. And he knows that what they did was morally wrong. That's why he's such a good person to work the lighthouse. And Isabel, not that I don't think that they weren't perfect for each other because I do think opposites attract, but Isabel kind of brought his guard down and brought him down from this place of where the where the line was a little blurred and he was not comfortable with that at all. And so I the, think, the map, the map, right, she the just map. like wrote on the Threw map. All over. Like, oh my God, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I think a lot of that, again, to go back to the backstory and the way that ML Stedman writes about the war and how that affected Tom, that he is just like, I should not even be alive right now. And because I am, I need to do things right um, to... I need to do things right by the men who did die. And so that's the way that Tom is thinking. But you're right. He is definitely a killjoy. Like he is so just strict and just straight and just, he is, he's boring. He's boring. But I, I also kind of find that sexy where he's very, he's like this rock for 
Isabel being very flighty and very not grounded in any Mm. way, shape or form. And Tom is bringing her down to earth. Like, hey, we also have to be realistic about Mm -hmm. life. Not everything is all butterflies and rainbows all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're complementary. It's not that they're necessarily, I mean, they are slightly opposites, but I think that they're more so complementary. She's such a wild free spirit and he just kind of has to bring her down a little bit and nudge her in the right direction. And also their age gap is ridiculous. At the beginning of the book, when they meet each other, so in 1920, Tom is 27 and Isabel is nearly 19. They're mm-hmm. nine years apart. Yeah. Like, they're, that's a really big age gap. And it, I think that also, again, back to the war. I don't know why I keep coming. It You're was good. Just, she wrote it so beautifully that I don't know too much about World War One, And so I, it's, it was just so interesting because it really spoke to, like, there were no men her age. Mm-mm. You know, like, people that she would have married were gone because yeah. they had fought in the war. And... Tom was one right and died and or was seriously injured mentally physically and or otherwise Mm -hmm. right and Tom made it out without a scratch on him um except for mentally and he was kind of like not her only option it's not like she settled for him but like it was kind of like oh here's a man I could marry I should marry him. So you think so? I do a little. I do a little bit, mainly because of the age gap, mainly because of the circumstances. It was convenient for them because yeah, she was the lighthouse keeper and she was like one of the only young girls. It just worked out the way they met each other, and I think it was maybe love at first sight for her. But for Tom, it took a while for him to actually get used to the idea of having someone else. He liked loneliness. He liked solitude. He wanted to be alone with his thoughts. I think that that stems so much from his guilt. It's almost like he felt he didn't deserve all these good things because he made it out without a physical scratch. He felt like, I lived and these people didn't. And instead of living life to its fullest, which some people might have, or some people, you know, might drink themselves into Mm -hmm. a stupor because of their guilt with him, I think that he almost felt like, I shouldn't have good things. I shouldn't have nice things. Well, he wanted to live by the rules because he didn't want to fuck up the fact that he had lived. You know, like, I can't risk my life because I made it out alive. And so I need to keep living for all the people who didn't. Yeah. Like, it was just beautiful to me. It was just so, his character and the way that he thought was so beautiful because it really, it always related back to the war for me. Like, everything he did related back to the war. His whole being was because of what he experienced and what he witnessed in the war. And can we talk about, just for a second, you remember that time where he's basically telling Isabel, it's not fair. We need to give Lucy back. And she's like, it's not fair. It's not fair that I lost three children while hers went away at sea and lived. It's not fair that you survived the war when my two brothers died. And I think he's sitting there and it even says she found his weak spot. Right. Like she found it. 
I think that he had played around with the idea of that being like his sore spot. I think he he knew Mm. he felt guilty to an extent, but it was like that was the first time anyone had really uh, shown a light on it, you know? Right. And said, this is it. And really pointed it and vocalized it. No one ever vocalized it. She sure as hell tried to talk about the war, but he was like, no, I went to war so that you and Lucy and all these other people wouldn't have to deal with war. Now you're asking about it? No. Right. So I think... Right. that to an extent it's like you know she wanted to be a part of that conversation she wanted to be a part of that dialogue but then she used it against him and I think that kind of didn't look good on her part I would no, say I don't like Isabel very much I, I'm gonna be honest her as a character I just didn't get her uh, maybe I just don't relate to her personality or obviously the situation I don't relate to whatsoever um, You've never I, stolen a child out of a boat? I, no, I haven't. Never buried a body? I've never, I've never lived on a remote island with one other person either. Although well, you have never like, lived. <laughs> but I don't know. I understood her motivation, and I think M. L. Stedman wrote about the miscarriages in a way that was just heart wrenching. I felt the pain. I understood what Isabel was going through, but there was this part of me that was kind of just always on Tom's side where it was like, we have no right to keep this baby. This is not our baby. And Isabel is in her own, I mean, obviously she had postpartum depression. She had lost her baby. She was not in a good place mentally. And then add on top of that being alone and the thought of having to tell her family that she had lost yet another baby Baby. Obviously, she's going through this whole thing, but I guess I kind of expected Tom to put his foot down a little bit more. I expected him to be like, no, maybe, maybe the one day, but he would go back and be like, no. We have to put an end to this. That was his love for her. Tom just could not bring himself to take this away. Maybe if it had just been the first child, right? If if they had lost the first child, if they'd had the first miscarriage, then this baby showed up. I think that he probably would have been like, no, 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 we have to. But three children. If it were Tom alone, if it was just Tom he would have been like, SOS, there's a baby yeah. over here. But Get like, this baby fucking out of here. Yeah, like, yeah. Ah. But Isabel, she's the whole reason that baby stayed there. And she was the whole reason that baby stayed there as long as it did. I just, I can't stress enough how heartbreaking that was. Because I could feel her sadness of her being yeah. like, but, but, but it's going to just go to a, it's just going to go to an orphanage, you know, and, and all this stuff. But you don't know that. And, you know, Tom even said it. You don't know that. Right. You've created this narrative. Right. Well, so let's talk about Hannah. Poor Hannah literally has gone through just every shitty experience. Her father disowned her because she married a German, not even a German man, an Austrian Austrian man. God. So Hannah marries an Austrian man. Her dad says, you mean nothing to me anymore. Mm -hmm. They get married. She gets pregnant. She has Grace, Ellen, and she's a pariah in the town that she grew up in because she had married this man, but she doesn't care. She's so happy. She's living her best life. She loves him. She loves her baby. The baby is two or three months old. 
And mm-hmm. a mob comes at her husband mad because of the war, coming back to the war again, that he is German to them and that she is hoarding the enemy or whatever. And mm-hmm. he gets in a boat, which stupid mistake. Why would you get into a boat? I feel like there should have been other options. Why is a boat your first choice? And why did you go out? Just yeah. stay where you are. Without, Don't go out. Outside of their reach. But right, like- right. Here's my question. I never got a full understanding of this because there were no witnesses. Right. How did he die and still stay in the boat? Well, I guess that he probably had his heart attack when they were closer to Janice. Oh, I didn't think he had a heart attack. For some reason, in my... Wait, who who said that? Tom? Uh, Hannah said that her husband had a heart condition. And Um, so it's assumed that he had a heart attack in the boat. Oh, okay. I wasn't... I didn't get that. (laughs) I was like, how did he drown inside the boat and the baby's fine? It doesn't make sense, you know? Yeah, yeah. He had a heart attack, I think, probably slumped down in the boat and I assume they were very very close to the lighthouse and that's how the baby got there in one piece but Hannah goes through this terrible tragedy with her husband doesn't know where her baby is but is holding out all the hope in the world and then she gets a note in her mailbox one night your baby is safe pray for me and she's like what the fuck does this mean like my baby is out there like is this a joke like what's going on She doesn't even think it's a joke. Like, she's like, finally. She believes it. Yeah. But everyone else. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone's like, this is a cruel prank. Don't put any stock in it. Nothing. But she's Um, like, she's invested. And then it's not until two years later when Tom and Isabel are back from the island that she receives the rattle that her dad had made for the baby. So it's the Mm. fancy ass rattle this baby has. Uh, and here's another thing. Like, why did Tom and Isabel keep that? That's what I don't understand is that was evidence. Exactly. Why, why would they have kept that? And then, of course, the people on the boat who bring them their supplies are going to see a fancy ass rattle. Like, they didn't bring that rattle to them. Like, they remember no. what they brought to Tom and Isabel all these years, you know, six years on the island. They remember those things. They would have remembered bringing a fancy ass rattle for one of the babies. And yes. That's <laughs> He stuck that rattle in his pocket. I was like, Tom, you're incriminating yourself. Bury it. Yeah, I was like, bury it with the body. You do not need this rattle. And then he puts the rattle in Hannah's mailbox. And Hannah's like, oh my God, this is it. My baby is alive. And I also felt like it was so sad that Hannah had actually met Lucy but didn't realize that it was her baby because what mother, like after so many years, she had only known her baby three months. This baby is a totally different person at this point, four years later, that she doesn't recognize her and there's no motherly pool because she thinks that the baby is Isabel's. I just thought that that was so heartbreaking that she actually meets her and yeah. So close yet so far. That's how it is. It's so yeah, close. Exactly. Yet so far. You like know, she just like, doesn't know. Yeah. Like, oh, my baby would be that age. And it's more of a sadness than it is right. a, oh my a God. A realization. Child. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's horribly sad. Right. Horribly, horribly sad. But then also, you have to think of it this way. Mm-hmm. By the time Hannah meets Lucy, she's already received the letter saying that Lucy is alive. Right. So right. I'm sure to an extent, her mind is just racing, you know, and any child that she sees, she's probably like, oh. Yeah. 
that I could tried. be it. Right. That, that could, could be yeah, it. Right. <laughs> it's just horribly sad. Like I, I can't imagine something like that. And you know, we listen to these true crime podcasts, these true crime, yeah. true crime shows. Then these parents, their, their children go missing. And I'm sure they are like, are they out there? Right. Is my right. child out there for me to find? Yeah. Are they just waiting for me to find them? So I think Hannah has that sliver of hope. And to be honest, that was actually part of my favorite one of my favorite parts of the whole book was diving into Hannah's yes. uh, storyline. Same. Uh, Amazing. Well, I really love, um, so before I actually get into what I really love, um, I want to talk about how, again, this is very similar to where the crowdads sing with the uh, police at the police station interacting about Hannah and her disillusionment mm-hmm. and the conversations that they kind of have with each other really reminded me of the same, of the where the crowdads sing police officer interacting with people. I was kind of like, it's giving me the same vibe um, really i see with the where the crawdads sing i was like they're a little more bumbling <laughs> to me well, i was yeah. like they're kind of bumbling oh. but these guys are like oh i feel so bad i wish I could right help. which is a different obviously a, a different kind of bumbling situation too but i just thought it was funny because it, they interacted very similarly um mm-hmm. and the way they were laid out with the book it just reminded me of that but we get to hannah and it just changes mid chapter from Isabel and Tom to Hannah and we get Hannah's backstory. We learn all this stuff about Hannah. Yeah. And then it basically lines us up again where Lucy is, it's realized that she's actually Grace and the way the chapters are lined up, there's this juxtaposition of Hannah waiting for Grace to come back. She's busy getting everything ready and she's disillusioned. She is thinking, everything's going to be back to normal. It's going to be perfect. To her, she's thinking she's getting that three-month-old baby back. Like, her mind has not adjusted to the fact that it's been four years. and a different child entirely. A completely different child. And then we flip to Isabel screaming in the police station for Lucy. And so it's this happiness and this sadness. But then Isabel was also disillusioned about the fact that she could keep Lucy on Janus forever that she could okay. keep her and that she would be her baby forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, like yeah. the inscription on the book. The <laughs> for Tom. But uh, I just love that these two women are the centerpiece of this story. Their emotions and their story are over the same child, but they're completely different stories. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, you have that scene where it's like just after they have found out, just after Tom and Isabel are like, oh my God, like this is, this is her child. We have to give her back, blah, blah, blah. And Isabel's like, no, no, she's mine, blah, blah, blah. And then Violet says, you know, oh yeah, she's like being very clingy essentially to Lucy. I think that she's excited to get her back to Janus because she wants to have her all to herself. And she really thinks if I can just stay on this rock, yeah, I can keep this baby all to myself. No one has to know. I can live in my bubble. She can grow up with me. There's that that feeling, uh, which is understandable because she's like, I just want my baby. Like all I ever wanted was my baby, you know, and and I don't get to have it. But then, isn't it so interesting? The fact that you bring up this juxtaposition, I wasn't really thinking about it at the time, but you have simultaneously you have. Isabel just 
absolutely smitten over this baby. She is living her absolute best life. And then over here, you have Hannah, who's living her worst nightmare. Her husband has died. Her child is possibly dead. She has been mourning for, you know, two years. And then slowly they start to switch where Hannah is so excited. She's going to have her baby back. Finally, they're going to be a happy family again, even though her husband's gone. At least she has her baby. And Isabel is just in absolute grief. Yes. So isn't that hilarious how they switch places? Well, and kind of it evens out again at the point where Hannah basically offers Isabel to have Lucy back because she is so frustrated that Lucy or Grace is not not wanting not to be with her. Not connecting yeah. that she's saying that she's the bad woman or you know whatever. And Hannah is this heightened has this heightened emotion of this is my child. I want to keep her. I want everything to be perfectly fine. Um, and so then it evens out again where they're kind of like let's just make a trade. Isabel, you testify against your husband, say you weren't a part of this at all, and I will give you your baby back because I can't do this. I cannot keep fighting for this child that doesn't want to be a part of my life. Like, what the hell? I mean, mean, like, just what the hell? But it's interesting because I've known enough new moms, right, where they're just so stressed out and they're like, oh my God, what am I doing? Am I doing something wrong? You know? And then you have, you know, Hannah, who only had that for two months, really. Um, And then she loses her daughter and then her daughter comes back and it's like, is this my daughter? I mean, not is it. She knows for sure it is, but it's like, she doesn't see me as her mom. Why isn't Grace seeing me as her mom? Right. Well, and Isabel and Tom stole that from her. They stole that opportunity of those young formative years from Hannah. Like, of course, it's going to be this learning curve for Lucy Grace because she's lived on Janus her whole life. She thinks that Isabel and Tom are her parents. Like, of course. Of course, it's going to be an issue. But Hannah was so disillusioned in the in the parts leading up to that, that she was like, it's my baby. Everything's going to be fine. We're going to be back together. Big, happy family. She's going to be like, mommy. And it's like, no, like, who the no. hell are you? Like, she doesn't know you. So no. Well, and I, I love to go back to their offer, uh, Hannah offering Lucy back to Isabel. Isabel wanted to take her up on it. She was like, let's do this. Okay. But then But then she realized that her love for Tom was stronger and would keep her going, I guess, the rest of her life. She realized that it was wrong to continue to keep Lucy from her true mom, who was still alive, still out there, still could take care of her. Which is what Tom wanted the whole time. Exactly. Which is what he wanted the entire time, you know? he. Here's the thing. He wanted, of course he wanted a child, you know, but if he couldn't have a child, he was so happy to just have Isabel. Right. And I think that she needed to see that she was the same way. Right. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. And I think that it really speaks. So at the very end, I know we're, well, kind of not even rushing over things because I mean, Tom went to jail for like three months for it. And like Isabel got a slap on the wrist. Um, because gonna ask for clemency for them and like it was it was all Thank fine. God. But you know, after that it jumps forward to the end of Isabel's life. She gets cancer. Mm-hmm. And this is when I start crying. Is Me too. She- 
mom gets cancer and she's dying. She's on her deathbed. And basically Tom is like, is there anything, you know, you want to tell me? Do you want me to tell you? Like, this is our last chance. And I think it is so sad, but it made sense that Isabel never got to see Lucy again. And it's heartbreaking, um, but she was the one who was wrong. And I don't think that she got to, she deserved to see Lucy as an adult And when Lucy comes and sees Tom as an adult and she brings her child who looks exactly like what she looked like when she was a baby and Tom, you know, makes that connection. I think that that was Tom's moment to actually accept Lucy as someone that he had raised or who he considered a child that he never really thought of it in that way until that moment. And that's what I meant earlier when I said that he was finally able to relax because he had finally followed his moral compass to its destination, essentially. And it's so funny that you mentioned that it's almost poetic justice that she didn't get to see Lucy before she died. Because I was actually thinking this, I mean, you were raised in a Christian household, going to church and whatnot, and I was raised in a Muslim household. And I've definitely had this thought where I'm like, I know that I've done wrong. So is this my punishment? And if it is my punishment, then I'm okay with it because I know that I did wrong. So there's that sense that we are raised to believe like, okay, I'm okay with my punishment because when I know I did wrong, I know I did wrong. Um, I was raised the exact same way where I had those thoughts too. And I can see that Isabel accepted that that was her punishment. That was the last time she saw Lucy was when she gave her back to Hannah. You know that- I'm going to cry thinking about it. And obviously Isabel dies young because she had cancer. Like Tom was going to live quite a few more years. She was probably like 50 right. something. Like and not so, very old. Not very old at all. And so I think because it lined up where Lucy came only like two or three weeks later to see Tom, it really meant that she was free to come by some higher power was keeping her oh, all that sure. time. And it even mentions in the book like, oh, she had kind of asked Hannah, like, is it okay if I pursue this relationship? relationship and kind of got her her blessing yeah and so I feel like it was this almost higher power that had kept her this whole time because she was an adult she had got married she had had a child like she was older you know like in her late 20s early 30s like there was ample time for her to have come and seen Isabel and Tom but she waited for whatever reason and I think that reason was that Isabel didn't get to deserve to see her again in her adult life because Isabel had kept her from her mother in her childhood. So she was kept from her child, who who she saw as her child. And just how beautiful was it that Isabel, I don't know why I want to keep calling her Lucy, that Isabel, after she lost Lucy, never sat there and said, woe is me. You know, because she realized, I have my husband, I have so much to be grateful for. I had those years with Lucy. And so when she's dying, there is that moment of almost like, yeah, I know that this is who I am. This is my punishment. And, And, you know, do you have the letter? Okay, good. You know, like she even knows in her heart that eventually Lucy's gonna come back yeah and she's like I know she's gonna come please give her this letter and it's just so sad that she's it is so it's so heartbreaking but it's so sweet because it's a very humbling moment yeah I'm gonna try not to cry I know but it's a very it's like oh my god so it's so sad but it's a very humbling moment where she's like I love this child so much yeah but I understand I don't get to see her in this life and that's okay. And that's okay. You know, love, love our daughter for me, you know? Right. 
Well, and I think that's where this tragic love story, like in my mind, I equate it to Titanic and Pearl Harbor, where it's not necessarily about the love of a, you know, husband and wife or man and woman or whatever you want to call it. But it is about this motherly love that is so tragic because of the circumstances, because she didn't get to have her own children. She miscarried three times. She had a stillborn Uh, baby. and. Miscarried two times and then had a stillborn. Still yeah, that's what okay, I mean. Yeah. Because of their circumstances of being on such an isolated place, they couldn't adopt because no one was going to allow them to adopt a baby. And so yeah. Lucy coming to her was like, this is my moment to actually get a baby. But it just essentially ruined her life that eventually they could have moved off of Janus. Like they did. And they could have adopted a baby then. But she was so in the moment. This is what I want now that she couldn't see long term. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's so sad because really they did move off. And truly, he could have just not renewed for another few years. Like he he didn't have to renew. They could have moved off. They could have had a life in town they could have adopted but yes you're right like she did not have that long-term goal and to be totally honest when I first started reading it uh, to me I saw it as a foreshadow that the man who had been the keeper before Tom he had gone crazy and then he had had also committed suicide or finished suicide because he ended up being so devastated over the loss of his wife and stuff like that as I was reading it I was sitting there thinking Isabel was gonna have the same fate essentially but I was very, very happy. Yeah. I was pleased with the end that came because I, I felt like she realized her love for Tom was enough. Yeah. It was enough to sustain her. Right. And I, I think everyone got the conclusion that they both deserved and needed. And so Hannah got to live her life with Lucy. Isabel and Tom got to live out the rest of their life on, you know, their little cabin on the beach or, you know, whatever. And I think yeah. it was good. I want to read this one part, though. Where it says, it's in the front um, sleeve of the book. Oh, yeah. Okay, yes, here it is. M. L. Stedman's mesmerizing, beautifully written novel seduces us into accommodating Isabel's decision to keep this gift from God. And we are swept into a story about extraordinarily compelling characters seeking to find their North Star in a world where there is no right answer, where justice for one person is another's tragic loss. Yeah. So, I mean... That sums it up. Um, Also, this is actually a a fun tidbit that I forgot to mention at the very beginning. Tom mentions that Janus is named after the same god that January is named after, right? The, The month. You think about January... January is right at the beginning, right? Right at the beginning of the year. So close to the past, which is December, which is the end of the year, but it's also very close to the beginning, right? So it is, Janus is the god of doorways torn between two ways of seeing things, Mm -hmm. like believing the baby belongs with both Isabel and Hannah. Yeah. Like, does it belong, does Lucy belong to Isabel? Does Grace belong to Hannah? It's right. this Looking way to the past and the present. Like, yeah. I thought that that was such an amazing, amazing little Easter egg thrown in there. Right. And the fact, even the fact that Hannah named her Grace. Yeah. After having to deal with all that stuff with her dad and, and with the fact that her husband was Austrian, she named her daughter Grace. Yeah. And then Tom and Isabel, they named her Lucy, which means light. Right. And so they both, you know, it was something, she was this light at the end of the tunnel that just came to them. Right. And she gave them hope. Yeah. And then, and then to have like, to see the scene where 
Tom and Isabel have Lucy christened. And then a little bit later to have that scene, the paragraph where, where Hannah and her husband had her christened. In the same church with the the same same church. Yeah. She was looking at the same stained glass. It was this beautiful, beautifully written thing where it was like, you are a part of the mind of the author. So she's letting you know, even though Tom doesn't know this, even though Isabel doesn't know this, even though Hannah doesn't know this, you as the audience are going to know that this is the same baby and this baby was christened already. Even though when the pastor, when he's saying like, has this baby been christened before or baptized before? And And then Tom's- (laughs) Nope. And then you see Hannah previously christening that same baby. And it's like, has this baby been baptized before? Nope. And so it's so funny just to see those two scenes laid so beautifully. Same baby, same situation. It's amazing. It was so well written. It really was. I mean, honestly, this is one of my favorite books (sighs) of all time. I love it. I think it is so beautifully written. I love the story. I love the ending. It makes me cry. I mean, I don't know if I can read it again. It never gets better than a book that makes you cry. And then I watched the movie. uh, I've seen the movie so many times. I saw it in the theater with my mom and I watched it like three or four times since then. And so it's a good movie. I recommend the book over the movie anytime though. I think the movie did a good job, but the book does better. So with a lot of- me, tell me, does it end with Lucy coming back? The, yes, the book? I mean, the movie, yeah. I mean. Sorry. It's all exactly, the story moves exactly the same. There's just some like little details that they leave out that I think took away from the overall ambiance of the book. You know how the book kind of gives you this setting and I just feel like it was lost by like losing a few of these details. Like they don't go into detail about the war and they don't go into detail about the fact that Tom knew Hannah before because he saved her from a drug sailor and you know like all these different things and I think that just took away from the overall devastation of the story so god well guys if you want to be majorly bummed out yeah uh, this this book yeah exactly I mean truly guys it's an amazing book it's an amazing book it's kind of like in the same way that Little Fires Everywhere makes you think what would I do if I was in that situation of course yeah I like to think that I would give the child back and be like, well, you know, like I've lost children. I know what it's like to lose children. I want to make sure that this mom gets this baby back. Right. But you never know until you're in that situation when you've been on this rock of isolation for who knows how long, losing babies and you just need a win. You know, that's all I can say. I mean, it's just devastating. And uh, I think you should read it. Yeah, I agree. Um, Because I want you to be sad like me. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, So join us next month is September and we are hopping out of historical fiction and hopping right into self-help September. So I am so excited about that. So next week we're doing our theme week. We're going to kind of give you an overview. So stay tuned for that. And then we're going to hop into some self-help nonfiction books. So tune in and we will see you next week. Uh, Goodbye. Bye. Kayla, I lost you. I lost you. Oh, you're back. Okay, now I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. You lost me? Okay. I lost lost you. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Tune in every Monday for new episodes. That's Kayla. And that's Lindsay. Goodbye.